brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hi, Christina. Hi, Chelsea. How you doing? Um, not bad. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you see that I have a new child? You have what? (laughs) Did you see that I have a new child? Um, I feel like I do know what this joke is, but the way that you're entering into the joke is so obscure that I don't know it. I have a little BB-8 now. Oh, yes. Yep. I do indeed (laughs) know exactly what you're talking about. My BB-8 child. He's so, he's so cute and wonderful. <laughs> Does it actually do anything or is it just... Oh yeah, no, it, it travels around. It, oh, so uh, you got the remote control one? Yeah, well, app controlled. It's not remote controlled, it's app controlled. Like, it's controlled via my phone. That's, is that not the remote controlling it? Uh, well, there is also a remote controlled one. So, like... Well, fine, if you're gonna be, like, freaking... <laughs> pedantic about it uh if that's the word sure anywho hi everybody uh (laughs) this isn't the the podcast where we talk about toys from star wars why not um this is the podcast where we talk about cults cryptids and conspiracies and i'm christina and that's chelsea yep hi hi and Um, today we're talking about possibly a cult a cryptid or a conspiracy or maybe something else if we're feeling funky i am one of the one I'm doing first. I'm first this week. Yes. Definitely a cult. Oh, snap. It's kind of a couple of cults, but they're the same. They're in the same, like, cult genre. <laughs> they're in the same genre of cult. <laughs> they're under the same cultish umbrella. Like, yeah. they're cult adjacent. But before we do that, I just want to I just want to say something that made me super happy. About is it about, show. is it about Star Wars? Yes. <laughs> Look, look, uh, Bean, who we talked about last week, emailed us to tell us that she was so happy to hear her story on the podcast. Yep. And that she was totally happy with us saying her name because she was super stoked that I recognized it as a Star Wars name because her name is Sabine. I mean, and it then, was a okay. name. It was like a person name first. Okay. It didn't originate. No, it's not like Wendy. I realized origi- that. But the thing is, she then sent a picture. She has a little, she has a mini Sabine, like, pop figure. Like, the Funko pop figure. She has a mini Sabine. And I, like, squealed when I saw it. I was oh, like, oh, man. my God. She has a mini Sabine. That's the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen. Well, Sabine, you made Chelsea's day. Um, like, like, my whole month. Made my whole month. Well, that's not true because I got BB-8 yesterday. <laughs> and unfortunately, that ruins mine because now she's not going to be able to stop talking about Star Wars. 
Am I ever? Um, I mean, like, more, this is more, this is more than I'm used to. I have a tolerance of Star Wars talk from you. The past two years on my birthday, I have forced you to go see Star Wars in theaters. Yeah, and what was I wearing those times when we went to go see Star Wars in theaters? Both times you were in Star Trek cosplay. Yes, I was. besides the point. (laughs) Yes, I was, because I purposely told you. What did I tell you? The reasoning for why I was wearing that outfit both times. Um, I don't actually remember your reasoning. I came to you on, this was the day of Chelsea's birthday. Yep. We went and we saw the new, because every time, like, the new Star Wars movie comes out around Chelsea's birthday, I don't know what it is. it's the best thing ever. So we end up going to see it for her birthday, and I show up in Star Trek cosplay, and she's just like, why are you wearing Star Trek cosplay? And I'm like, because I want to start a fight, Chelsea. Oh, no, you, I only asked you that once. You only need the second time it was just assumed as given. Right, exactly. Uh, so I, and like like we've said before on the podcast, we literally like my headphones are are X wing pilot Rebel Alliance headphones, and she has fucking white and are like what what like a Starfleet symbol. Yes, it is the it is the Starfleet symbol. I don't star watch Star Trek. Star Trek. I kind of want to watch the new one though. It looks the badass. oh Star Trek Discovery yeah, yeah. It looks badass. I'm I'm super excited for it it looks real good. Did you see the costumes though? Where um, I'm pretty sure they designed those costumes specifically to laugh at cosplay artists. <laughs> <laughs> like I know you're going to attempt them, but I'm, I'm gonna just telling try. you right now. Yeah, like, like holy shit. <laughs> no, seriously. As soon as they came out, like as soon as the the costume pictures came out, Bones texted me just like they're doing this to us on purpose, and I yeah. looked up and like the tiny little. The tiny little gold emblems, like, the the patterning on them is so fine and ridiculous that I have no idea how I'm going to replicate that without actually, like, machines to do that. Yep. But darn it if I'm going to try. I know. I mean, and then, you know, I, I have a Jin Erso cosplay. You do? I am currently in the works of making a Leia flight suit cosplay. The Jin Erso cosplay, though, that fucking vest is the bane of my goddamn existence. Also, if anyone who's listening hasn't noticed yet, we're huge nerds. We're yeah. like massive <laughs> nerds. We're painfully, aggressively painfully nerdy. nerdy. I mean, but in the yeah. best possible way. <laughs> All right, I enough, think. enough talk of the science fiction. Let's get into the weird and strange and beautiful of our own reality. Tell me about your cult genre. All right. My cult genre I present to you today is the cult of fitness. The cult of fitness. Presented. I feel like, I feel like that needs like a certain echo. Like when yeah. you say it, it needs just like a gong needs to be rung. Presented in two forms. So I'm going to talk about two aspects or two like specific uh, brands of the cult of fitness. The first mm-hmm. of which is Soul Cycle. And let me tell you, Soul Cycle's a fucking cult. <laughs> like, I was half jokingly doing this before when I was doing the research, because I'm like, it is kind of a cult, but the more I read about it, the more I'm like, oh fuck, it's a cult. <laughs> um For those of you who are unaware, Soul Cycle is it's literally just like a a, a cycling exercise company stationary bikes stationary, it's a stationary bikes, bike yeah. like the spin class they used to call them yeah 
Well, it is. It's a spin class. Uh, but they have taken spin class, that concept, to a whole new level of crazy. So, the first article I've, I have presented to you today, I keep picturing us like being around the campfire, like an Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like today, I give to you. <laughs> we're we're sitting around a campfire, presumably in the woods or something. Yeah. And your 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 scary story is spin is freaking uh soul cycle. Yep. Yep. We're making s'mores in this metaphorical, and you're talking to me about soul cycle. Look, it gets terrifying. All right, all right, I'll I'll believe you. So for those of you that don't know, yeah, soul cycle is just it's just a fucking spin class. It's a fucking spin class. That's what it is. So the first article that I'm presenting to you is from a website called The Cut. Recently, in a candlelit room in Tribeca, a 24-year-old named Zach made a confession. I'm very open about this, but I've been in recovery for the past two years, he said from a podium facing a room of two dozen people who looked up at him with approval, acceptance, and even generosity of spirit. He wore a trucker's hat over curly blonde hair and explained that he was from Florida, an actor and hip-hop dancer, and then he kicked the music on and began pedaling his bike. Zach was participating in an afternoon of auditions to become an instructor for SoulCycle, the indoor cycling company come fitness phenomenon that's been called an obsession, a cult, and by those who clamor to pay $32 plus extra for shoe rental and water for classes that sell out within seconds, an addiction. Strong words to describe a 45-minute group exercise class, but the Soul Cycle experience is meant to truly be an experience. Part dance party, part therapy, part communal high. The studios are dark and steamy, the music is blaring and highly curated, and writers are encouraged to pedal on the beat and follow along to choreography while instructors offer yogic inspiration. I want the next breath to be an exorcism. Namaste, little badasses and self-help maxims. Be honest about who you're trying to be. Like, and when they say that he's there for an audition, they mean it. The whole cult of SoulCycle is, it started, like SoulCycle itself was started by a couple of people. Actually, let's take it back a bit. This year, 2017, marks the one decade anniversary of these rituals whose blend of cycling candlelight and clubbing because like when you walk into one of those cycling rooms there's dim light and just like fucking candles everywhere and then the music is often like dubstep has taken the boutique fitness world by storm since its founding in 2006 a former funeral home on manhattan's upper west side the SoulCycle Network has relied primarily on a grassroots, word-of-mouth marketing strategy to grow its network. Now, the company has 66 studios, nearly 25% of which were opened this year alone. I'm thinking when he says this year alone, or she, hang on, this is from the Harvard Politics Review, or Harvard Political Review, sorry, uh, Sherry. So I think when she says this year, I because uh, this article was published on January 10th of this year, I think she's meaning mm -hmm. 2016. Okay. I th it doesn't specify, but that's what I'm thinking because, like, that would be crazy if 25% of its studios opened within the first 10 days <laughs> this that year. Would be, that would be bananas. <laughs> You're correct. Yeah. So, according to its most recent filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the franchise plans to expand this number in the long term by nearly fourfold to 250 studios. Entertainment. So, the whole entertainment industry actually lies at the heart of SoulCycle. 
one of its three co-founders, Julie Rice, previously had worked as a talent manager at Handprint Entertainment, a management and production company whose first client was Will Smith. So when they say that these people are going to auditions to try and become an instructor, that's like pretty literal. Mm -hmm. Because one of its founders literally started in the entertainment industry in picking up talent and, you know, getting them auditions and things like that. And in fact, SoulCycle says that while they, of course, want to make sure that anyone who is an instructor is like good at fitness, they have admitted that being like having a past experience as a fitness instructor is not a priority for them. And okay. that they prefer people who are performers, who are dancers, uh, who are actors, or majority actually are dancers that I've seen, that I've been reading about. All right. Yep. So, back to the cut. Back to the cut. I found Soul Cycle, and I have to say, it's like a meeting for me. I'm getting high on endorphins and nothing else, Zach said in a display of honesty that made him a crowd favorite in Studio B, where 20 other hopefuls, the company's two founders, and a handful of trainers peddled along or watched from the walls as candidates got roughly three minutes apiece to introduce themselves into a sample ride to excerpts from songs of their choosing. Most applicants were young, fit, and more than commonly attractive. One woman announced she was the reigning Miss Black USA. But more than form or even prior experience, emotional vulnerability was at a premium in the room, along with long-standing commitment to the brand. There were breaking voices, the wiping away of tears, and several drawers worth of SoulCycle apparel on display. So, like, literally, like, they, they say this is not just an exercise. It's a therapy session. I, I have, I, I, yeah. they, okay, so... In you reading this, every now and then, you, the audience, can't see it, but every now and then, Chelsea gives me this look when she says, yeah, like, like, she thinks that we're on the same page, because Chelsea knows exactly where this is going. I don't. So when she <laughs> says, yeah, I'm like, what are you talking about? Because okay. so far, it all sounds a bit cheesy, yeah, but none of it's, like, unkosher. So I feel like here's the first red flag in the many articles I'm going to read you. Okay. By the time the last candidate took the podium, they had been cycling for over two hours, but Janet, who shared that even her 11-year-old son loved SoulCycle, was still able to rev up the energy. SoulCycle has changed my life, she said as she pedaled in perfect time to Florence and the Machine. I hope that I have the opportunity to give that feeling back. I hope you have a good middle name, Janet, said master trainer Janet Fitzgerald. There's only one Janet. I do. It's Suzanne. Good job, Suzanne. Like... You are not allowed to be Janet. You are now Suzanne. There can only be one Janet. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's I, that's weird. Yeah. Sure. Coming back, the studio. So Soul Cycle as a studio started. It they took rent in a place in New York that used to be a funeral home. The studio mm -hmm. started with 33 bikes, one bathroom, and zero showers. Cutler and Rice, who founded the company themselves without outside investors, so that's, hang on, let me make sure I'm getting their names right, Elizabeth Cutler and Julie Rice, who co-founded along with Ruth Zuckerman, who left the company in 2009 to start rival Flywheel Sports, figured it would take 100 customers a day to keep the lights on. At first, some classes yielded only one or two riders, but over time, the 
hidden location began to seem intended. I remember the day that we were on the phone with a vendor and she said, are you that secret place on 72nd Street that nobody can get into? And I thought, we've arrived, Rice says. The very first class was candlelit, giving the studio a spa-like feel and granting writers a sense of anonymity. Anonymity. I can't say that word for some reason. It's a hard word to say. Yeah. The instructor says, I want you to go into a trance now. I want you to disappear. Bikes that required a rider to clip both shoes in, think of like putting on skis, were selected because they offer enough stability to close one's eyes. Instructors were hired because of their ability to inspire, a method that's now been codified into the training program. Emphasis is put on making riders feel special. Every corporate employee who works the front desk for a week so that each gets a sense of who is coming and going. Instructors are encouraged to know writers' names, to learn about their lives, and to interact with them accordingly. Favored writers may be pulled to the coveted front row or even asked to ride the instructor bike, which was the scariest, most thrilling experience of my life, according to one soul cycler. Validation is meant to be not only given, but tailor-made. You look so beautiful spinning for two, one pregnant woman was told. After you get married and get that big rock on your finger, I'm not going to do this with you anymore, said an instructor as she punched fists with a woman in her late 20s during a class to celebrate another writer's birthday, complete with balloons, confetti guns, and red velvet cake in the lobby. That's actually kind of cool. I don't know. I mean, it sounds cute. Yes. But it gets kind of, gets kind of weird. Okay. I would do anything that I could to afford these rides, says 27-year-old Jamie, who often takes 13 classes a week. Estimated cost? $21,632 per year. I would, I would like to make that money, yeah. I would like to make that much in a year. Do I need yeah, that same. much in a year? I don't even know. She arranged- I sure as hell know why I don't. Yeah. She's arranged her schedule to have Mondays off work so that she can always be at her computer the moment classes are released. Because when classes are released on Monday, they sell out instantaneously. This woman's literally taking Mondays off work so that she can make sure to sign up for classes. Not take the classes, make sure to sign up for classes. She really likes cycle. Yeah. She counts her instructors among her closest friends. Her social life revolves around people she's met at SoulCycle. On the anniversary of her father's death, her instructor had the class ride to Nessendorma from... Uh, Turandot, one of Jamie's father's favorite operas. I'm seven years sober. You don't really get love and acceptance and encouragement and self-gratification from a cocktail, Jamie says. I mean, I this is what I need in my life, and it just so happened it's an exercise class. So, yeah. It's people who buy into the whole soul cycle thing, it's very much like uh this is this is my life. This is what I do. There are people mm -hmm. who are saying that, like, they, when they were talking to their real estate agent about what house they want to move into, it had to be near a soul cycle studio, or else there was no way mm -hmm. they could move there. You keep, like, re reacting to things as if I'm supposed to be horrified by what you're saying. How are you not? How is this already, like, not putting up red flags for you? Because it did for me. Well, I mean, yeah, it sounds like there's people who get really obsessed with it, and I can understand that it's, like, it's it's definitely manipulative because the company SoulCycle is sort of, in a sense, it's preying on people's vulnerability and their need for validation in order for their own capital self-gratification. But so far, it's not telling people that they can't talk to their families, for instance. That's true. And 
I know that I've taken days off of school just so that I can make sure I get Comic-Con tickets. <laughs> so, like, I I can't throw stones at this, is what I'm saying. Okay, okay. According to Fitzgerald, when it comes to the business of inspiration, one of the most common habits that must be broken is using language that's unintentional. They'll go, we're almost there. Well, what does that mean? We're almost where? I'm on a bike going nowhere, first of all. And they'll go, what I mean is I want them to hang in there. And I'm like, and now what do you mean? I want them to be strong. So we teach them how to take their meaning and express it in a way that's actually interesting. Trainees are not paid during training, but they also don't have to pay as they would under the yoga model, which I think is stupid, but I didn't go into what the yoga model is. Whether they pass depends, uh, depends as much on the it factor as it does on skill. I can teach someone how to ride a bike, says Fitzgerald. We're looking for something that's a little sexy, a little edgy. We don't, we kind of don't want Susie fitness. And if we do, we need to rough her up a little bit. This may mean telling an instructor to cut up her t-shirt or dye her hair or always teach wearing bright red lipstick. All right. Once training is complete, instructors are usually assigned, assigned a load of eight classes a week and receive health insurance, which is nice, which is better than yes. the other company I'm going to be talking about in this section as well. They also agree not to teach indoor cycling anywhere else, a model that is rare in the fitness world, where livelihoods are often cobbled together between gyms. This ensures brand loyalty, but also requires new instructors to compete against established ones. Compensation, however, is generous. With a sold-out class, a novice instructor might make up to $125 or $150 in 45 minutes. Veterans can make significantly more. It's all about filling the room by delivering a product that gets people hooked. So... They have to, they, they have to like, pimp themselves out. They have to, like, through social media, uh, it says through social media, hobnobbing, and sometimes an endorsement by a veteran instructor, you have the potential to become a Griffith, a Copple, or even a Lori Cole. Do you think I'm crazy? I am crazy, but I am damn good at what I do, Cole yelled at a, out to a round of cheers at an evening class in Tribeca where the mirror had fogged within minutes and the energy in the room was as palpable as the thumping bass. All right, so, and then this is the Harvard Political Review. Sundays at 7.30 a.m. are usually not a peak hour for the nation's noisy nightclubs. SoulCycle, which combines indoor cycling and high-energy music into arguably the world's most notorious fitness brand, is a different story. One dreary October Sunday, nearly 50 riders and I rode with the sun and clocked in at SoulCycle's Union Street Studio in San Francisco. The studio's aesthetic combines a clean, calm concierge and signature white and yellow hues on the outside with a rumbling rager on the inside. It's designed to make you pedal, dance, and sweat to the beat. The morning's instructor, athlete and dancer, Bea Del Rosio, kept the studio lights dim with the exception of two grapefruit-scented Jonathan Adler-designed candles, meditative perhaps if it weren't for the music, which leaned heavily toward heavy, bass-heavy EDM. Is this person you are right now, at this very moment, the best version of yourself? She would yell periodically to the crowd. No faking was permitted. She would occasionally step down from her front and center pedestal, approach each rider individually, shake her head in disappointment, and turn up the resistance on their bike. By the time the cathartic class ended at 8.15am, the California sky was blindingly bright, sweat rendered everyone's clothes a different color from when they came in, and 50 new riders were waiting eagerly outside the studio for their turn. Yeah, I think that line, that, that paragraph kind of, I don't know if alarmed is the right word, but the whole thing where someone's going around and, like, she's shaking your head at you and turning up the, the resistance on your bike. If anyone has ever cycled, I've done it at the gym a few times. It's not my favorite machine. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, 
I don't know. I, I don't I don't really like the feeling that someone is coming around and judging me and turning up the resistance on my bike. Like I know what I can handle and maybe I'm not pushing myself so much yet, but maybe there's a reason for that. Like well, but they're that's, encouraged that's to the go- reason That's part of the reason why you don't do soul cycle is because the people who do it are are like they they want someone to push them. They feel like they need motivation to get their to achieve their goals and like the whole point of soul cycle is that it's half exercise and half motivational speech right so here's the thing soul cycles most vocal critics have argued that this warped priority structure elevating fame and appearance over individuals fitness goals makes some of its competitors more attractive for instance unlike its biggest indoor cycling rivals uh playton and flywheel which flywheel was uh Founded by SoulCycle co-founder Ruth Zuckerman in 2009, mm. SoulCycle provides no real-time rider statistics or other methods to track individual performance over time. Several certified cycling instructors and exercise scientists have also outlined in painstaking detail how some of SoulCycle's signature moves, handlebar push-ups, free rate exercises, and tapbacks, which I don't know what that means, actually have detrimental effects on calorie burn, posture, and other aspects of health. So, like, this kind of gets into the real big problem with soul cycle is that their whole cult of personality their whole like mm-hmm. you know we do things this way because you know we have a certain image to uphold it's actually possibly de- well not possibly there's actually i'm gonna have some some more accounts in a minute that it's detrimental to the health of the people that do it okay like you're pretty much paying for the cult of personality you're not necessarily paying for a great exercise regime which goes into again the Mm -hmm. fact that a lot of the people that they hire as instructors are not fitness instructors they're they're hired more for their personality than anything else right so nonetheless soul cycle transcends its critics because it understands and to an extent controls the rapidly shifting demands of fitness marketing around the time of soul cycles founding health and lifestyle magazines from self to shape were publishing headlines such as go from heavy to hot and five minutes to flawless skin that propelled accusatory subtext toward its readers while proposing more or less em- uh, ephemer- ephemeral? Ephemeral. Ephemeral. Uh, I can't ephemeral. even say Ephemeral. Ephem- ephemeral. It is ephemeral. Yeah. Remedies. I can't speak <laughs> to these self-perceived problems. Today's consumers have different expectations for what fitness can be, explained Caroline Chish Bloggett, VP of Brand Marketing at Peloton. And in an interview with the HPR, which is the Harvard Political Review, people Mm -hmm. don't just want to run on an elliptical while watching CNN and counting the minutes until it's over. We're helping them realize that a 45-minute morning workout can be the best part of their day. My my time at the gym is never the best part of my day. I don't... I do it because I have to. (laughs) Right. But, like, then that's part of SoulCycle's shtick is, like, we're trying to make it enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. This transition in fitness marketing from amplifying insecurities to preaching confidence and body positive thinking has extended to technology and fashion as well. Fitbit, Garmin, and other fitness trackers have driven the rise of the quantified self, a concept that demands every movement and heartbeat be recorded as a concrete, analyzable, and reportable data point, a philosophy from which SoulCycle interestingly deviates. The athleisure clothing market, meanwhile, has seen unprecedented growth as a complementary good to fitness classes. The sports apparel and footwear market grew by 42% to $270 billion over the past seven years and is projected to grow by another 30% by 2020. That's a lot of fucking money. 
That's a, no, on it's a lot. Leisure. And that, yeah, and that's like the whole idea of athleisure is that it's athletic clothes that you wear even when you're not at the gym. So yeah. it's just like I'm wearing this to to imply that I do work out. Yeah. Even if I'm not currently working out. And to me it's just kind of like why 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 bother? Like you're you're not going to the gym but you are wearing gym clothes. So it's like you just want people to know you go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the next article I have is from GQ. Uh, and I really like this article because they interviewed a bunch of SoulCycle instructors, both past and present. Mm-hmm. So one of them is like, one of the things they push is that the people you are at SoulCycle with, your instructors and the other people you take your classes with, are your family. So they... Okay. they and I, I, it brings me back to if you've seen the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Have yes. You? Okay. No, I've seen the Soul Cycle episode yes. of the Unbreakable Kimmy right. Schmidt. Yeah. So it kind of goes back to there's that whole part of the episode where she was like, "Oh, us in the front row," which I've explained to you is like a real thing. Like people in the front row are like the people to aspire to. Right. Um, us in the front row had cucumber waters with the instructor. I can't remember his name. Um, after mm-hmm. class, and it was like. It's this whole, so being able to have this kind of relationship with your instructor is seen as, like, the highest tier of who you are. Um, There's, like, a hierarchy that's built within the class. Yeah. So there's a couple answers that I want to point out here. One of them is Pixie, who was totally bought into the Kool-Aid. Like, uh, I'll get into more of what she says at the end. (laughs) Um... Think of it like this. Class is 45 minutes long, but this is, isn't a job where you can go clock in and clock out. There's the 15 minutes before class and the 15 minutes after class. Now, a lot of people may think, I would love to do that. You only work for an hour and a half. But the truth is that your phone is blowing up before and after each class with emails, with social media, with text messages. Just everything from, I really loved that song you were playing the other day. Can you play it again? To, it's my best friend's birthday. We're surprising her. To, I'm running late, but please don't give up my bike. To, I'm going through a really hard time right now, and something you said in class gave me great relief. To, I'm sorry I wasn't on my A-game today. You get so many things on your phone that work just continues. And the truth is, there's only one of you. And then Marvin, whose answers I fucking love, and I'll get to it later. Marvin says, it's happened where, the question is, do you really want to hang out with any of your writers from the class? And Mm -hmm. Marvin says, that's happened, though it is my personal preference to have a more of a separation between church and state. (laughs) <laughs> that's <laughs> pretty I just, funny i just love that answer yeah um so here's something that i'm gonna go into a little bit um related to what i said before about uh it possibly not being actually a good fitness regime mm-hmm. so they ask what's the toughest part of the job ross says Definitely the recovery. When you have a schedule like ours, it's hard to fit in the right amount of rest and recovery. There are weeks when I'm just exhausted and my body hurts and my head hurts. Willie says, I've been an instructor for less than two months now. And the music is one of the toughest parts for me. I've always had rhythm, but I'm not a dancer. I don't, I didn't know eight counts. I didn't know how to listen to music in order to create a specific mood. Marvin, as an instructor, you become the manager of the room and you're dealing with so many different things. You're dealing with the temperature of the room, the music, the volume, someone who is pregnant, someone's birthday, five new writers, someone who wants the fans turned on, and the only way to learn what works and what doesn't is to go through the process. Pixie, 
Being a fitness professional that works out 12 to 18 times a week, I feel like I should have a rock hard six pack and most insane Barbie doll body. And the truth is that I have a great body that's super strong and super healthy, but there's this part where physically I feel like I'm supposed to look a certain way so that I'm more inspiring, which is very alarming to hear to me because Soul Cycle preaches this whole, like their whole thing is like, we don't want to be like, you need to look a certain way in order mm-hmm. to be considered physically attractive or whatever. But at the same time, there's this woman who's one of their instructors who is totally bought into the whole cult of personality who feels like she's not good enough. I feel like it's not necessarily that she's bought in. That quote to me sort of points to there being a culture within Soul Cycle where she feels pressured to look some, some other way. Because she says that she thinks that her body is good. She says that she thinks she's fit. But she feels like other people are expecting her to look differently. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily her thinking she needs to look differently. It's her feeling pressured to look differently. Yes. And then this last one, I could write a dissertation on. Willie says, the majority of writers are generally, well, there's a couple types of people, but Soul Cycle could be more diverse. He doesn't say it, <laughs> but we all know what he means. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and no. that's... That becomes not only with this, well, not only Soul Cycle, but with the other company I'm going to talk about, um, mm-hmm. which some people have probably already guessed what it is. Uh, th- it, that seems to be a theme. Yeah. Uh, these kinds of things are perpetuated by white, upper class people. Just plainly speaking, they're, they're upper class white people not even I mean, maybe upper middle class but definitely majority upper class and considering I mean, how much even, it is you don't even have to really say people because the majority of like the athleisure market and like are the women. soul cycle people are women it's white women white upper class it's that that's largely because they're marketing this certain type of and you've even said it they're marketing this certain type of look and this certain type of uh person to be and that environment is largely it, it's it's largely like it's, it incubates rich you have to be wealthy enough to afford it for one thing you have to be able to spend that twenty one thousand dollars or whatever but yeah it's gonna be white women like exactly and it even says in one of these articles and i can't remember which one it may have been one i already went through it even says like there there are literal like the housewives like the ones you watch on bravo are mm. some of their patrons so, like, the, the like, epitome of the white upper-class woman yeah. are, are literally, like, the clientele. So, That's what they're catering towards, sort of. Yeah. So it says, it must be hard to find the time or energy to exercise outside of class. Is SoulCycle your primary workout at this point? Um, most of them say that they like to do other things, um, like yoga. Someone says she wants to do mm. shadow boxing, but this this answer stuck out to me. Connor says, when I first started SoulCycle, I was teaching 18 to 19 classes without doing any strength training, and I was just running myself into the ground. I ended up injuring my knee outside of class because my body was so run down, and after having knee surgery and my initial physical rehab, I picked up strength training again, and now I do it twice a week. Okay. Um... So this is like this this shouldn't be I mean obviously the instructors are going to be doing soul cycle much more frequently than the people who are their clients 
because they have to teach multiple classes a day. Yeah. Um, but but basically, it's like this shouldn't be anyone's sole fitness regime. Right. But then, imagine uh, they say, imagine you have to eat a lot of food when you're teaching that many classes a week. And this guy, this guy Ross says, it's about trying to keep up with the calories you're burning. And last week, I taught seventeen classes in seven days. Yeesh. That's. That's a fuck ton. That's like, when That's are you... almost three a day. Yeah. It's two a day and then three more. That's, so. yeah, that's insane. Are there ever any moments in class that you just have to step back for a second and say, I can't believe that just happened? Um, Willie says, I've been an instructor for less than two months, but I've cried at least three times. I don't even know why. I wasn't sad or angry or bothered or anything like that. There were just tears. It's happened in class, after class, while in training. I've never been like that in my whole entire life. And so I'm trying to think. Uh, people who are uh, who accidentally injure themselves. Uh, this guy who accidentally... <laughs> Marvin, who's just funny. It was my very first class and I was hoping that no one would sue me. It was towards the end of class and I was trying to stage one of those more internal moments for my writers at the end of class. So I thought I was saying the most influential and inspiring things and got on this high. So I kept talking more and more and more. And by the end of the song, I tried to slowly let go of my voice. At the same time, planned to blow out these two candles so the room would go super dark. Well, I blew out the candles a little too hard and blew hot wax onto two of the writers in the front row. Oh, oh, jeez. Oh, yep. Okay, and the most important... Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then we're getting to the last couple questions. Is working as a soul cycle instructor a viable career option? Ross says, I think burnout is definitely a real thing in any endeavor, especially a really physical or emotional one. But as long as the job keeps fulfilling me in the way that it does now, I don't see myself giving up anytime soon. Pixie. I remember when I first started out, the company told me, we don't want you to have five jobs. We want you to make this your career. We get benefits. We get vacation. We get a stipend for clothing. They take care of us. And it's a real job with a 401k. And I have to say, like, that's cool. That's great that SoulCycle does that. Yeah, that they I have, provide, yeah, basically. I have absolutely nothing against their uh, the way they treat their employees because it seems to be that they actually treat them properly. Mm -hmm. As far as, as far as like, there's their salary and their benefits goes. Because yeah. they're... Like, like I said later, it does sound like there is a certain, um, you, you sort of said cult of personality. It sounds like there's a little bit of expectations and pressure that they're yeah. being forced to meet, uh, as employees. But again, that's a lot of companies. Yeah. Uh, Emily says acting and dancing is why I originally came to New York and I've still been pursuing that. But what I've come to realize is I'm not going to leave Soul Cycle for any old job. It would have to be a show that's really progressing my career or really important to me. I'm not going to leave Soul Cycle for some production of The Music Man in Wyoming. Eric says, I gave myself five years when I started teaching. I told myself, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. Let's just see how far I can go with this before the wheels fall off. The wheels fall off a little early for me, though. I had two slipped discs in my lower back. My doctor just told me, you need to stop. Otherwise, you're going to have severe problems when you get older. It was a little heartbreaking Eesh. for me. Charlie says... I'm in it for the long haul with Soul Cycle. I already put the work in. I know a lot of people are like, how can you just ride a bike? Well, how long do you plan on walking for until you're 80? You're still putting one foot in front of the other. That's my mentality on it. And I'm like, it's a little different. <laughs> it's a little different. 
I can, um, I mean, I can see what he's doing, though. It's sort yeah. of like a thing where it's like, people are criticizing him. It's like, well, how could you only just ride a bike? It's like, listen, you, you do the same thing every day, yeah. basically. And then Connor says, once you get- I see where he's coming yeah. from. And Connor says, once you get a taste of the podium, because the instructors are literally on a podium, like that, that episode of uh, Kimmy Schmidt is, is no mm-hmm. hold bars. They are on a podium, although I'm pretty sure none of them are faking it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um... Once you get a taste of the podium, there's no going back. It doesn't feel like work at all. I'm like the super senior in high school who won't move on. I'll be here until they say there are no more classes for me to teach. All right. So here's where Pixie specifically gets a little defensive because she's now the only one responding to these questions. Okay. A lot of different people have used the term cult to describe soul cycle. What is your response to people when you hear that? Pixie says, people say that, and I'm like, okay, so don't go to SoulCycle, but continue to go to the bar three days out of the week. What's the technical definition of a cult? I don't know it. Do you? The the interviewer says, I'm not sure specifically what it is, but I could look it up. And Pixie says, all right, let's look it up. What's the definition of cult? A system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a uh, particular figure or object. Pixie's last response is, Okay, so yeah, for sure, Soul Cycle is a cult, if that's the definition. I would proudly say that you could call Soul Cycle a cult. If you're saying that the object is a healthier lifestyle and a positive change, you know, you know what I mean? So, like, she got, like, super defensive there at the end. I mean, I can sort of, like, I can, on one hand, it is a little much. Like, it's like, you, it, this person, you, you need to calm down a little bit. But also, I can definitely see she... If she is a soul cycle instructor and she's an instructor who has been with them for a long time and who like and this is her career, she's probably gotten this a lot. She's probably gotten people like, "Oh, isn't soul cycle a cult?" ha ha ha. And that would piss anyone off after a while. Yeah, but I feel like the like it seems to me like the the question wasn't acute. It was just saying like, "What do you what do you what is your response when people hear that?" And then she got super defensive. Well, again, yeah, but, yeah. like, that's the same thing as, like, when you ask, it's, if you ask anyone the same question over and over again, it's gonna get them really that's annoyed after a while. It's like if you ask an actor, there's a lot of actors where it's like, oh, can you say this line from your movie? Yeah. And it's like, I've, I don't want to do this again. I've said it a million times. It gets annoying. <laughs> um, okay. A lot of it is cheesy market buzz talk. I completely agree with you. It's it's kind of stupid sounding. And it's like, yes, we're a tribe. We want to bring out your inner rock star. And that's corny. It's kind of dumb. And it's pandering. But I'm still not sold on it being a cult. I don't know. I I think the whole thing is it's very cult-like. I think it's it wants you to totally feed into, like... Your friends and family all are soul cycle or whatever. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the thing that I feel like is damaging is that it's actually like more focused on its cult of personality than actually helping people in fitness, which can be damaged, which can be damaging to your health. And no, and I, I agree with you on that. that but part, I think they should. Yeah, they, they shouldn't say that they're like all about fitness. I mean, then again, they sort of don't. They don't really yeah. eat, like leverage fitness as being the main thing the main thing is kind of it's supposed to be like a a motivational experience i guess but like at the same time like i've known a couple people who've done it we have we have a friend who does soul cycle um and i think this whole cult of personality like i think it's okay if you just go 
But when you get to right. the point where you're telling your real estate agent, like, no, I cannot live aw- far away from a SoulCycle studio, you're crossing a line. And the other mm. thing is, their whole manifesto says, you know, we accept anyone. But that's not true. They don't accept just anyone. You have to, like, yeah, we accept anyone as long as you are able to afford, not only afford the price of entry, which is $32 per class. Well, the thing about that is I have definitely been to a more expensive fitness class. But they expect, like, they're expecting, like, the the one girl, they expect you to be there, like, multiple times a week. Yes, that's true. And it can get more expensive. Yes. Um, And it's, like, not only that, but you also have to be someone who can be on the computer on Monday, right when the classes are put up so that you can immediately get one of those those spots. So Mm. it's, like, you say that it's for everyone, but the way that your business is modeled, it's not. And that's yeah. just, it's just the way it's, it is. It's, it's specifically like people of a lower income who don't have the time to dedicate. They can't afford to take Mondays off so that they can get SoulCycle class tickets. They can't afford to purchase multiple days of the week. I mean, technically speaking, it's not required for you to go multiple times a week. It's just encouraged. So you could argue that. But I agree with you. It caters largely to people of higher incomes. So it's a little bit... Um, what's the word? It's a little, it, it segregates in a way again by class divides mm-hmm. in that sense, and it's maybe that's not what they're going into. It's not like they're gonna turn people away at the door who paying customers. They're not gonna do that, but they have made it harder. The barrier for entry is is harder to get through. Yeah. Okay. Than it should be. Yeah. Moving. So Soul Cycle was the uplifting portion of this this section of the podcast. Okay. <sighs> Because now I got to tell you about Lululemon. Tell me about Lululemon, Chelsea. So, while you may have been iffy about Soul Cycle's kind of cult cultish behavior, there's no way that you could be iffy about Lululemon. And to clarify, you think there's no way that I could not think Lululemon's a cult? Yes. Okay. So, this is from a blog. This is from a post in Huffington Post. A woman who worked there. From a woman who worked at one of the retail stores. The first time I walked into Lululemon, I was high. I'd just finished a seven-mile city run. Endorphins flooded my brain and my fingertips were tingly with excitement. Inside, it was bright and the walls were purple, fuchsia, and gold. I saw bamboo and babbling water fountains and the employees danced around in stretch pants that made their butts look like perfect little bubbles. I immediately wanted to work there. I just finished editing a book about Charles Manson. It was, yeah, it was a heavy, psychologically exhausting project that left me needing lighthearted, happy work. I didn't really want to think too hard. I hoped to exercise my love of running, earn an employee discount, and take free fitness classes. But soon after enduring Lululemon's intensive training program, I realized I'd been indoctrinated into a bottomless pit of groupthink I'd never be able to survive. The Lululemon culture consists, on the surface, of catchy manifestos. Lululemon wants you to know it's elevating the world from mediocrity to greatness and creating components for people to live long, healthy, and fun lives. Keeping in mind, again, they sell fucking clothes. Yes. But dig deeper, and you'll learn about Landmark Forum, the ultra-secretive, eerily cultish educational series, which Lululemon employees are strongly encouraged to attend before you're in line for landmark you're bombarded with brian tracy motivational cds and a book club that culminates with atlas shrugged 
Oh, God. Yeah. Successful Lululemon employees can recite Brian Tracy better than the Pledge of Allegiance. Mention Chip Wilson, Lululemon's founder and former CEO, and their eyes will light up and quickly glaze over. They'll tell you, quite seriously, that he saved their lives by elevating them to greatness. All this sort of made me made walking into work feel like time traveling to Salem. Because with the Lululemon creed and catchism comes with a collective mentality that thrives on scapegoats and leaves you feeling worthless if you subsist on anything but spring water and kale. Once another employee sneered at me from across the floor and said the soda I happened to be enjoying would rot me from the inside out. Eventually, we were all issued reusable acrylic cups and forbidden to drink anything but water. We'd be, yeah, we'd be encouraged to give feedback, a terrible calculated misnomer for ruthless criticism that could veer from professional to personal in 60 seconds flat. If a customer dismissed your sales pitch because, let's say, he was in a bad mood, one of your fellow team members would pull you aside and say your conversational style lacked genuine authenticity. She'd insinuate that you lack authenticity, that you aren't equipped enough as a human being to sell yoga pants. I started working at Lululemon in 2011, weeks after Brittany Norwood gruesomely murdered Jaina Murray at Lululemon's Bethesda store. None of my coworkers spoke about what happened. Our store manager was awfully smiley about it. You'd start to think, these things happen, but they don't. Women rarely bludgeon each other to death. What they do, when they do, there's usually more at stake than a pair of allegedly stolen yoga pants. Looking back on the incident, I can't help but remember the hysterical, highly feminized air I breathed at Lululemon, an alternate universe with its own opaque value system and ominous doublespeak. Work was hardly ever about selling running tights. Factor in feedback, integrity checks, and the incessant pressure to look effortlessly cool, and Lululemon labor is much more akin to a game of Survivor. So, Are you going to go into the actual events of the murder? I will. Um, okay. But this woman says... It's been a year since Brittany Norwood received a life sentence without the possibility of parole, and I still can't imagine her beautiful young victim bleeding, taking her last breath among all those pretty yoga things. So I forced myself to look at the published crime photos. They're all gore, straight out of a horror scene, but one picture in particular sends shivers down my spine. It's an image that begs, I think, for a better understanding of how Lululemon's culture may have played a role in the terrible, grisly Bethesda tragedy. How brainwashing, bullying, and manipulation might be enough to send an already psychologically, emotionally vulnerable person over the edge, or at least create an environment that's enough of a pressure cooker for one woman to stab another over 300 times. It's a picture of the Lululemon employee room. On the door, in chalk paint, it says, May each of us equally enjoy happiness and the root of happiness. Most of the lettering is in pastel pink, but the word equally is written in red, and there's blood spattered all over the floor. That's, that is a fairly grim image. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got another one from Anonymous. This person decided to remain anonymous. Um, about her life at, the Lul- at Lululemon, titled Lululemon Diaries, My Life in an Exploitive Libertarian Happiness Cult. Immediately after I started work at Lululemon, I realized that almost all their talk about empowerment and happiness was empty. The years I've spent there since since I've confirmed it. The company's culture is delusional, hypocritical, and cult-like. When I started at the store, I was straight out of college and very lost. I had massive student loans, and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. 
The girl who interviewed me was in her late 20s, edgy, and very cool. She seemed so genuine. She talked about how what she did never felt like a job, how Lululemon cared about empowering women to reach their goals, about living your best life, about how Lululemon cares about their people. Most of all, she talked about the company's integrity. I went for it hook, line, and sinker. I was 21, and I wanted to believe that what she said could be true, and I was very naive. I started as an educator, which is what we call salespeople, but they'd constantly tell us we're not selling anything. Our job is to educate people on the technical features and functions of the garments and empower the guests to make their own choice. I was at a newer store, one that had just opened, before Lululemon was as famous in the States. I was working with a lot of new people who didn't really know what the company would be about. Within the first couple of weeks after I'd started, half the team had quit. Since then, I've watched hundreds of people cycle through my store and the stores around me. The turnover at Lululemon is one of the highest for any retail company, even outside the store. Upper-level management is constantly changing. It's a company that really purports to be about their people, so you'd think they'd examine this more, especially since their 10-year goal is getting our global collective scores within the top quartile of happiest people on the planet. But who measures that and with what measuring stick? Everything in the Lululemon corporate culture is based on a bastardized version of yoga. The employee regulations book is called Pramana, which is a word that roughly translates to knowledge in Sanskrit. Ironically, Pramana really means true knowledge you gain from experience and not just what people tell you. The theft guide is called Esteya, which means non-stealing, an ethical guideline from Padanjali's Yoga Sutras. I'm going to say some of these names wrong, but since they're also bastardizing it, like, fuck them. That's typical Lululemon for you. They co-opt something from yoga and warp it until it loses its true meaning. We once made a shopper that spelled out the Sanskrit word brahamakara, which means virtue, in drugs, junk food, and hypodermic needles. The company is so disproportionately tone-deaf it's astounding. They mean to be relevant, but instead they manipulate good ideas until they become totally corrupt. This practice of mindfulness could be good in theory, but when it's warped by who's in charge, it's full-on positive psychology meets tea party. Anne Rand's books are in our core library, and you can't escape that pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mindset. When a customer comes in and is rude to you, it's your choice to be offended. It's you not taking personal responsibility for the situation. If you point out something wrong or unethical, it's labeled as your choice to complain. One of my managers told me she had a conversation with the former founder, Chip Wilson, where he talked about how he didn't believe in public assistance or welfare that people who were entrepreneurial would survive and be successful. Yeah. Worse, the hypocrisy in Lululemon's labor practices are often closer to illegal than legal. What they say and what they do often doesn't line up. I have a friend who works at a store where they hired an educator with Tourette's. They were like, this is a place where people aren't going to judge you, where you can be you. And then they fired him because he was making guests uncomfortable. My friend was his manager and had to say straight-faced to the guy that he wasn't a culture fit. It was cruel and discriminatory, and there are tons of stories like that. The labor practices are also warped because of Lululemon's business plan, which is centered on not explicitly advertising. They've structured it so educators market for them for free when they're in the community, which means you take classes wearing Lululemon as often as you can. One of the benefits is they'll reimburse you for two classes a week, but you're not on the clock. Once the company got sued for this, they couldn't explicitly order you to do it anymore, but you still know the expectation. You have to be in the community a lot, of if, a lot if you want to move up. 
I know people who take two or three classes a day when the pressure is on to be out there on your own time off the clock. There are so many legal gray areas. In general, you work more than you're paid for because you're not allowed overtime, which in the state of California is illegal. I don't know about that other is states, illegal, but yeah. in the state of California, it is illegal. Managers often work up to 20 hours a week off the clock. For management, very often at the end of a shift, either you have to go home and get in trouble because you didn't finish what you were needed to, or you clock out and keep working. Everyone knows that happens, but no one talks about it. That's your job description, to be entrepreneurial, which is Lululemon's code for working yourself to the bone without question. Yeah. This, no, definitely so far sounds cultish. Because, and, and you can sort of see the the hallmarks here, the red flags I see here that I did not see with SoulCycle because it is very, like, you have to, it, it's, it pits the employees against each other. It makes you paranoid and, like, you're not good enough and you feel like you have to aspire to be something else. If you have a problem, that's your fault. Like, it's a bunch of very manipulative tactics that prevent people from fully... Christina. Ex yes. It gets so much worse. Oh, dang. When you first come to Lululemon, they goal coach you. You put your goals up on display in the store. They tell you not to make excuses. Pinpoint what you really want. Gold coaching is actually very helpful. Unless you're saying, well, I have student loans or I'm going to be homeless because I don't make enough money to live. And they're like, why do you let that limit you? <laughs> Ugh. Part of your job description is called getting related. Which you were talking about cutting yourself off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which means you have to be friends with your coworkers or you're not fulfilling your job. Mostly we are all friends, but it can feel very intrusive because everyone knows what's going on in your life all the time. Everything is literally up on the wall. Lululemon is all about ideals. The man and woman Lululemon designs for and creates marketing for is called our muse. The man is called Duke and the woman is called Ocean. Anything you do, you appeal to that ideal, imaginary muse. Ocean makes six figures, she doesn't want to have kids, and she has a master's degree, and her core workout is yoga, and she also likes running and spinning. The whole idea is that your guest is never actually going to be Ocean. It's aspirational. They can try, but they'll never be. There's an ideal employee, too, who's a different person than the ideal guest. A person in leadership at Lululemon is relentlessly positive, willing to fully buy in without question, and super entrepreneurial. Upper-level managers all talk in the exact same weird, fake Canadian accent. You don't necessarily need to be thin, but you need to work out constantly. If you don't, you're not a culture fit. The company is also extraordinarily white. Yeah, again, the barrier of entry for a lot of these, like, at leisure cultures is upper middle class. And in America, that means white as freaking hell. Yeah. And then this is, again... It's just, it's just getting worse. Uh, I have to, I want to talk about this, this, I'm sorry I'm going through this article specifically, but I think it's extremely important to go through, like, this specific person's, uh, like, experience because it says a lot about it. And then I'm going to get into another article that talks about someone who worked during the murders when they happened, during the murder when okay. it happened. So there are class issues at Lululemon, definitely. Many times I've had people work at the store in hysterics, crying, miserable, willing to do literally anything because they're not making enough money to live on their own. Lululemon has had the same base pay for the last seven years. This is 2016, so it's just last year. It's never been raised. It's $12 an hour or less in most cities, which is middle of the road for retail. 
There's a decent bonus structure, but who the fuck can survive in the wealthy areas Lululemon puts their stores in on $12 an hour? Lululemon loves the collective, but not enough to increase the base pay for an educator or to have paid leave for new parents or a 401k. That's really the worst thing about Lululemon. They insist they care about you despite much evidence to the contrary. Most other retail companies don't try to pretend that they give a fuck, but Lululemon tells you every single day, educators are the most important people in the company. People believe it, too, especially if they've never worked for anyone else. But while snacks, free yoga classes, and a clothing discount is great, those aren't the benefits that matter. That doesn't help people buy groceries or plan for retirement. The benefits are not good. Employees in the corporate office in Canada comply with different laws and get a full year of maternity leave at full pay. But for anyone else, there's no paid maternity leave. You have to use disability at only 60% of your pay, which is not enough to live on. And you're required to use all of your paid vacation first, which is only 10 to 15 days for upper managers. But if you're lower than a manager, you don't have any paid vacation at all. And if you're a queer employee and not carrying your child, you've got nothing in terms of maternity or paternity leave. It's all unpaid since you can't use disability. How is treating gay employees differently than straight ones fair or legal? Lululemon is always talking about reaching your goals in terms of love and relationships, but what if your goals are to have a child, or you're a single parent, or you have to take care of a sick loved one? You can clearly go fuck yourself. It's an incredibly profitable company. Their pants retail for upwards of $100 a pair, and in a week, a store will make the triple digits. I just went to a conference where they made hand-printed books about the culture of Lululemon to give out every employee in the whole company, but they can't pay for those benefits that people really, really need. Voicing this stuff would not just be frowned upon, I'd be seriously risking my job. So, okay, this person still works there. That's why they're anonymous. Mm -hmm. Lululemon is all about closing rank. If you say anything about anything you think is fucked up, you'll immediately get a feedback for improvement form about your lack of positivity. In the stores, I'd say 50% of people buy the whole party line. The people who actually rely on the jobs, they just tend to stay quiet because if they say something, they'll end up getting fired. And leaving is awful. You have to do your exit interview in front of your manager, so you can't say a lot of things or their happiness metric will suffer. In general, it's hard to leave Lululemon on good terms. All this being said, I really don't hate this company. Most of the people who work for the company are good people at heart. I believe they could change if they actually wanted to, and it's that belief that makes the reality so jarring and so sad. So there, she gets a little bit more into... Uh, they, she went to uh, a retreat for the company where there's a there's now a new CEO of the company named uh, Laurent, who came from mm -hmm. Tom's, which is a company that does treat their people very well. They have paid maternity leave, paid paternity leave, and the founder of Tom's just wrote an article for Glamour about it. So it says it's funny that it doesn't make Laurent think about how he's now running a company without many of the same benefits. So. Maybe it'll get better, but if you think neg okay, so the company thinks if you think negative thoughts, you bring negativity onto yourself. The pseudoscience is everywhere. It basically says on Lululemon bags that sunscreen gives you cancer. Like, like honestly, they had a bag. I don't know if they still do. Mm -hmm. That says what is it? Sunscreen absorbed into the skin might be worse for you than sunshine. It says that on the bag. Uh. Oh, yeah. There's like, and and the big the big red flag I'm seeing with all of this is that's that culture of shaming when you leave because Lululemon, so far from what you've expressed in this article, this person has said, is that 
they are encouraged and required pretty much to be friends with their their fellow employees. So if your coworkers become your friends and you're expected to be spending the majority of your time, even when you're not being paid, somehow doing work for the company, then that becomes your main social socialization is the people who work at Lululemon. Which is, and I'm presenting all this to, to tell you exactly how that murder happened. Right. And, but so the thing is like, if, if you have to public, it, I, I, it said that you have to do your, your leaving interview in front of your manager. Like, like you have, what is, is it like, is it like you have to like say it, it's like everyone gets to watch it didn't, or it didn't specify, but it sounds like it's a very public thing. And that if you say like, uh-huh. you can't leave Lululemon on good terms. Cause either like you're betraying everyone or you betray your or in order to like stay on good terms with your fellow coworkers, you then have to basically turn in your manager for not meeting their happiness quota, meaning that they're the reason that you are unhappy working there. So you screw your, if you quitting screws over your manager, even if you don't have a problem with your manager, you leaving screws them over. So it's very much a thing where it prevents, it creates a culture where people don't feel like they can leave because they're either shamed or they are guilty. Right. So this next article, the last one I have is from Salon, which this girl worked, uh, started working before the murders happened and then worked through the time the murders were happening. She worked there for six months. Um, you keep saying murders. going back and forth between murders I know, I don't mean to, murder. but for some reason, when you look it up for some reason, it's plural. Like, you look for the Lululemon murder okay. and Google automatically pluralizes it and I don't know why. Um, so that's why I'm saying that. And I'm really sorry. It's just, just one girl was murdered. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm terribly sorry about that kind of weird speech thing that I keep saying, but it's, it's Google's fault. I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to clarify yeah. cause I was getting a little confused. It's Google's yeah. fault. First, I don't know why Google pluralizes it, but it does. Okay. So this girl decided, like decided she wanted to work for Lululemon you know, for, like, the same reason anyone wants to work a retail job, they fucking need the money, and it seemed like a good place to work, like, for a time. Because when they, they, they lure you in to work there, they say, like, we'll pay for your yoga, kickboxing, and spinning classes, and you'll save so much money, and you'll be... And then during the interview, the manager said, plus, you'll be so healthy, you won't even need to worry about health insurance. Oh, Jesus Which Christ. I understand how, like, as someone who is naive and fresh out of college, that can seem like a good idea. You need health insurance, people. No, you need health insurance. Like, especially if you, you exercise you a lot. You worry about health insurance. That makes me more worried about my health insurance yes. now. Yeah. It's like, I wasn't worried about it until you said that. Yeah. So... Lululemon employee training was so tightly scheduled, I couldn't help feeling like I was part of something important. Ten of us, new hires from Lululemon's across Manhattan, gathered every day for about a week before any actual work began. After group yoga, the mornings were for lectures on willpower and videos on the importance of goal setting, starring company founder Chip Wilson. Oh, just call him Chip, giggled one of the managers. Afternoons were for group folding sessions. Long pants and fourths, capris and tanks and thirds, headbands and underwear in half, wrinkles smoothed with the flat of your hand. Which I know sounds weird, but, like, I've done clothing retail, and that's actually, like, I think anyone who works clothing retail has to go through a whole, like, training on how they want their clothes folded. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, friggin', I, have you ever 
accidentally like you pick something up at a store to see what size it is and then you unfold it by doing that and you're like oh god i don't want this now i have to put it back and it's not gonna look like it was before and yeah. you feel that shame of being unable to fold things properly because that's my daily life and like i remember so i worked at uh urban outfitters which i feel like i could do a whole <laughs> actually i don't really know if they're cultish i feel like they're just dickheads um <laughs> they really are the people at urban out the corporate urban outfitters are fucking dickheads but um we had like one of those things that helps you fold like the 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 plastic the little like cardboard folder yeah thing. but after yeah, a while you folder. just like get really good at folding shit <laughs> um i actually i can still fold pants to uh regulation standard oh man Evenings were spent poring over the required reading, Jim Collins' corporate self-help book, Good to Great, which Chip was obsessed with. The message, good is the enemy of great. Don't settle for a mediocre life. Yes, exactly, I exclaimed. After all, wasn't that why I had left my Indiana hometown? Being hired by Lululemon began to feel almost providential. On the eve of our first day on the job, all of us trainees got together for a last hurrah in the basement of the Soho store. We drank kombucha and ate gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free cookies from Whole Foods. Which, what the fuck are you left with? What? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> I want to know. What is that? What is that? What remains? <laughs> I don't know. Um, while we crafted goal sheets, lists of our life goals for the next 10 years to be framed and hung on the walls of our respective stores. This put me in a bit of a pickle, since my goal was to leave as soon as I found an office job with benefits. But now Lululemon had invested so much time in what was called my development. Perhaps, as my empty goal seat suggested, I really did need their help. After several crappy jobs, the steadiness of 9 to 5 was appealing, not having to run around sweating, sucking up to people dependent on tips, as was the idea of helping to make something that would last. But what would that look like? I like to read, so I'd mostly been applying for editing positions, but I couldn't write down such a half-baked goal for all to see. Under the guise of getting another hemp seed cookie, so I guess that's what you're left with, Dang. I leaned over and read my neighbor's goals. Run a marathon, do yoga teacher training, buy a country house. Easy enough. I copied her, figured I'd real, uh, and I'd figure out my real goals later. So, the first few days of work were heady, accompanied as they were by the flood of endorphins. Spin class at 6 a.m., vinyasa flow at 8 p.m., Saturday morning run clubs in the park, and Sunday morning yoga classes in the store. Exercise, what sort, how often, the afterglow was the main topic of in-store conversation. So, if you skipped a day, it was obvious, and people asked if you were feeling okay. We were encouraged oh, to choose our favorite method of exercise, but it was best if it was something other people liked too, since the team that sweats together stays together. Real quick, did you say heady? I may have. Yes. Heady? Heady. Heady. Is it H-E-A-D-Y? Yes. Yeah, heady. heady. Okay. I was just like, heady? Sorry, no. Yes, the team that's, that's what's together stays together. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm not good yeah. at the words. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I say as I shove a, a hot dog into my mouth. The instant camaraderie was appealing. In order to fit in, I avoided my favorite vices, baked goods, beer, and Russian novels. Such a downer, Joe noted with an exaggerated frown upon, expi upon spying Anna Karenina in my cubby. We were positive. We were healthy. We were enthusiastic. 
While retail employees at American Apparel or Forever 21 might spend their half-hour breaks eating pizza or smoking in the alley, my coworkers and I did sit-ups and headstands, read the self-help books in the employee library, and talked shit about gluten. Few people can attain great lives, in large part because it's just so easy to settle for a good life, Catherine might read aloud from the good to great, while two juice-fasting coworkers balanced on their heads in the break room, which is really just a fluorescent-lit corner of the stockroom. The setting left something to be desired, but the message was enticing. Who wouldn't want a great life? And some days it seemed like it really was possible. At one mandatory meeting, during which we discussed the merits of the paleo diet over chia seed pudding, Catherine was asked to talk about her experience with Landmark, a group, a sort of group therapy come self-help seminar that any Lululemon was invited to attend gratis after six months of work, a $600 life change, courtesy of Chip. It's amazing, she said, shaking her head at the inexpressible wonder of her own memories. God, how do I begin? I grew so much over that weekend. The most empowering part was you learn that everything is a story. So like, if I'm sad, that's my story. If I want to be happy, all I do is change my story. You can make your life look however you want. It was a huge breakthrough. Everyone clapped. I grimaced, feeling a rumble in my stomach that was either chia seed pudding or anxiety. How did everyone know exactly what they wanted their stories to be? I couldn't even manage an honest school sheet. And though I applied rather aimlessly to two or three each day, I still hadn't found an office job. By Lululemon logic, this probably meant I hadn't properly written my story. But what should I be wanting instead? Sam encouraged me to look for answers in yoga teacher training. You'll really deepen your practice, he said. And, you know, make some money. Catherine, meanwhile, offered a ready-made story for me to adopt as my own. Do you think Ocean would wear this? She asked one day, modeling a purple hoodie and a pair of purple and white stretch pants in the break room. Who's Ocean? I asked, and she sighed. Who trained you? Ocean is our ideal customer. She does yoga every day and makes $100,000 a year and dates a triathlete named Mountain. I stared at her, nonplussed. Pityingly, she added, Mary, we all want to be Ocean. That's why we work here. Won't make $100,000 working retail, I muttered, but fortunately she hadn't heard. So it's searching for an ocean-appropriate headband. That night, I sent out seven resumes, copywriter, editorial assistant, researcher, and even a handful of unpaid internships. I didn't know what I wanted, but I was getting a better idea of what I didn't, to dream of a $100,000 life while living a $15,000 one. So, going on, she, she starts to, like, hate her coworkers. She starts to mm. not go to so many of the mandatory but not really like classes and then one afternoon i got an email about an emergency meeting the store was brightly lit when i arrived at 9 p.m high from a spin cycle class i sat in lotus position like everyone else in a circle on the floor our manager took a deep yoga breath and told us the news a lululemon educator had been killed by burglars in a maryland store She'd been closing up with another educator, and they'd both been attacked, brutalized, tied up. Only one of them had survived. None of us knew how to respond. We were all so jacked up on exercise that it was actually hard to feel sad, though we did our best, holding a candlelit vigil in Union Square. She was one of us, we said to each other in shock. She had died on her way from good to great. What it was not hard to feel was scared. Running sprints in the park had strengthened our fight-or-flight responses, and everyone suddenly was suddenly ultra-safety conscious. A new rule insisted that every closing shift had to include three people instead of two, and always at least one male. Everyone left at the same time, and we walked each other to our trains. I found comfort in this renewed solidarity with the very same co-workers I'd been increasingly annoyed with, and it was us against the nameless, faceless bad guys. 
A few days later, I was home in my unheated apartment, enacting what had become my nightly ritual of eating sprouted almonds under an electric blanket while scouring online job boards when I heard one of four new roommates shouting my name. Yeah, I shouted back. Dude, did you hear the news? Natalie, aspiring local newscaster and general busybody, cracked open my bedroom door and peered inside at me. Um, no, I don't think so. Natalie stared back at me with horror. Reflexively, I lifted my arm and sniffed. Sweating every day meant I was always a little gamey. That Lululemon girl who was murdered? She prompted, and I nodded encouragingly. She was killed by that other Lululemon girl, Natalie cried. Read the news. It's everywhere. Doesn't that just make you feel so creepy? These are your people. She took a step backward out the door as if I might jump out of bed and unable to control my increasingly rippingly muscles, rippling muscles, strangle her on the spot. I googled Lululemon. It was true. The educator did kill her coworker, cutting herself and tying them both up afterwards to make it look like a robbery. In that moment, it seemed inevitable. As educators, we were pressed to be our best selves, treat life like a party, and never give up on greatness. If you were unhappy, angry, paranoid, just tell a different story. The idea that you could shape reality to look however you wanted suddenly seemed dangerous, easily abused, especially among my type A coworkers, who exercised and worked and exercised and worked and ate so little that it was not really a surprise that someone eventually snapped. And I wondered what had been on the murderer's goal sheet. Lululemon murder was all over the internet. Washington Post, Huffington Post, Slate, the Daily Mail. But for a group that liked to talk about our feelings, the news went surprisingly undiscussed among Lululemon staff. When anyone did talk about it, they did so in furtive, fearful whispers. There was no emergency meeting. If we'd had one, I thought it probably would have felt too much like one of those murder mystery dinner parties. Who would be the next killer? So basically... The Lululemon murders happen because they, they cultivate this cult of, of, you know, you have to, you, your coworkers are your family. You have to hang out, like, mm. you have to hang out with them. They must be your friends. You have to do all this exercise. The reason that this girl murdered her coworker is because she was going to turn her in for stealing a pair of yoga pants from the store. And she couldn't bear the thought of being fired. So she stabbed yeah. her over 300 times. Yeah. That's like, that is an incredibly toxic environment, and I will agree that is very cult ish because they're, in a way, not directly, indirectly cutting you off from other people in your life. They're policing your behavior in and outside of work, and they're cultivating this environment where you do not feel like you are allowed to disagree. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, they, you do not feel like you are allowed to leave. Yep. Those are all cult red flags. Yep. Um, so, like, that's messed up. Yep. It's incredibly manipulative, it's incredibly exploitative of the employees, and it's super messed up. Yep. And this is, part of that reason is why I didn't think SoulCycle sound like a cult, because SoulCycle didn't police the your behavior outside of SoulCycle. And while a lot of people, like, were shaping their lives around it, that's kind of on them i mean to a certain extent the company is manipulating them to view soul cycle as like a therapy kind of thing mm -hmm. which a lot of people shouldn't um but to each their own and also soul cycles not encouraging you to like only eat chia seeds or whatever well i wanted to uh, present soul cycle as like you know it's not it's not a full cult obviously but it has some some 
little pinpricks of cult-like behavior. And some of the people who uh, totally buy into it are exhibiting um, sort of dangerous kind of personality They have like a sort types. of, yeah, like their fanaticism is a little worrisome. But I was, I was giving you that in preparation for Lululemon. <laughs> yeah. Which is what I really wanted to talk about. And I talked about both for a very long time, and I'm very sorry about that. But I'm done now. It's okay. That is it's okay. That is the cult of fitness um, that I wanted to talk about. I mostly wanted to talk about Lululemon, but I just thought SoulCycle would be kind of funny to talk about as well. It definitely does bring up a whole thing where there's an, a culture around fitness and the idea of your life somehow being centered around your fitness level. And that's the sort of thing like people who are so obsessed with needing to look a certain way or have a certain amount of fitness and like, oh, I'm on a juice cleanse or what do you think about the paleo diet and altering your life to such an extent where you're constantly thinking about like your next workout or the place you are going to work out or looking like you just came from the gym, all of this stuff. It's like, it's a little bit. It's not a little bit. It's super weird to me. I don't I don't get it. I don't understand totally centering your life around well, and it's this like, concept of fitness and wellness. And it's like you brought up um, trying to kind of like relate. You brought up how, you know, there's we will skirt responsibility one day out of the year to get our fucking Comic-Con passes. But that's the it's other true. thing. That's not something that's like Comic-Con is one week. And uh-huh. we only have to do that for one day. Well, maybe two if we don't win the first time around. But yes. it's not like, like, I love Comic-Con, and I definitely, like, save up money to make sure that I can afford, like, the, the trip I want to have. But it's not something, like, every week it's, like, I re- I plan my life around it. Right. It doesn't consume, like, the the culture of nerddom doesn't consume your life. It's not what you're constantly thinking about, and it's not like you're constantly... And I feel a little bit hypocritical saying this because yeah, I, was like, uh... I no, like I I feel a little hypocritical saying this, especially considering what we're talking about. Yeah, because I no listen, I recently have started a uh, get abs before BlizzCon marathon thing, where I do one hundred two hundred crunches every day. In the effort of hopefully getting abs by BlizzCon okay. because I'm my costume means I'm not going to be wearing a shirt. Girl, girl, that so, is unhealthy. You need day, you can't do that every day, and you need to. Build I'm not doing up. it every day. I'm taking rest okay. days. I'm taking rest days. But what I'm saying is like, it's hypocritical for me to say when I'm also doing that. I don't know. Like um, I also like will exercise and be like, oh, cool. Like I want to. I want to make sure I fit into the costume that I made that I've been working on for months, and I don't like gain or right. even loot like you know, maybe even lose weight to make sure that I fit. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I feel like as much as nerddom is a huge part of my personality, it also, like, doesn't define my day-to-day life. Yeah, and same here. And it's a sort of a thing where in the cultures of the athleisure culture, and Lululemon especially, it sounds like, it's sort of becomes the epicenter that the rest of your life is supposed to come from. You're supposed to focus on your experience there as this self-defining thing and that's that's a a lot that's too much it's a lot it's too much Mm -hmm. what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right. So bring us back up. Okay, I will do my best. Getting away from all of that. Bring us bring us back up. It's your job. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to talk about my favorite cryptid. Ah, yay. My favorite cryptid, El Chupacabra. Ah. Yes. So the Chupacabra or Chupacabras, which translates literally into goat sucker. Um. Yep. Is a legendary creature in the folklore of parts of the Americas uh, with its first purported sightings reported in Puerto Rico. The name comes from the animal's reported habit of attacking and drinking the blood of livestock, especially goats. So, like, it should be called, like, a goat vampire, but, uh, you know. Now I'm imagining, like, the thing is, when you say goat vampire, I'm now imagining, like, a goat with, with, like, a teeth. A goat. Like a goth goat. <laughs> like a goth goat with fangs and there's like organ music in the background. Someone draw that for me. Someone draw I me would a goth love goat. That's pretty good. Um, so physical descriptions of the creature vary. It is purportedly a heavy creature, the size of a small bear, with a row of spines reaching from the neck to the base of the tail. So I found sort of, I always imagined it as being roughly the size of like a medium-sized dog. Yeah, that sounds right. But... N- Apparently, no. Apparently, a lot of people record it to be the size of a small bear, which is pretty big. That is pretty big. And I'm just kind of like, imagine seeing that on your in your farm. Like, you wake up in the middle of the night from a weird noise. You go out to your farm, and there's a small bear chowing down your goats. Mm. That's upsetting. Yeah. It is upsetting. Um, so the most common description of the chupacabra is that of a reptile-like creature, said to have leathery or scaly greenish-gray skin and sharp spines or quills running down its back. It's said to be approximately three to four feet high and stands and hops in a fashion similar to that of a kangaroo. I mean, that sounds cute, but it's not. <laughs> it's cute and terrifying. Yeah. It's both. They're not mutually exclusive. Cutifying? You can be both. Terracute. Let's try and let's let let's stop this while we're behind. Okay. <laughs> Another common description of the chupacabra is of a strange breed of wild dog. This form is mostly hairless and has a pronounced spinal ridge, usually pronounced eye sockets, fangs, and claws. Unlike conventional predators, the chupacabra is said to drain all of the animal's blood and sometimes its organs usually through three holes in the shape of a downwards-pointing triangle or through one or two holes in the neck. It's, uh, it, it, you know, uses every part. It's, you know, it's being... It doesn't use every part because it just eats the blood. Oh, okay. I thought you said organs, too. Well, sometimes organs. But that's, that leaves the rest of it. It's like It leaves a dried-out husk of a goat. Well, you know who eats that? Corvids. That's true, you know. The, you're composting, I guess. Um, but no, the chupacabra is is not promoting ethical consumption. That's the um, word I was looking for. Ethical? Ethical or consumption? consumption. Okay. So eyewitness sightings of the chupacabra have been claimed as early as 1995. You know what else was happening in 1995? What? Om Shinrikyo. Oh my god. It's all connected. The chupacabra is, has been put in... North America by 
I'm assuming it's yeah. I'm not going to say yes, but I'm also not going to say no. Nope. Um, so the sightings claimed as early as 1995 in Puerto Rico and have since been reported as far north as Maine and in far south as Chile and have even been spotted outside the Americas in countries like Russia and the Philippines. But well, many of the reports Russia have been... is a lot like Australia, in which case that could just be true. Russia is a lot like Australia? In which it, Please explain. It's also terrifying. Okay. <laughs> um, many of the reports have been disregarded as uncooperated or lacking evidence. Uh, sightings in northern Mexico and the southern United States have been verified as can- uh, canids affected by mange. For those of you who don't know, mange is a class of skin disease caused by parasitic mites. It's gross. Um, it's gross. Uh, it suggests poor condition of the hairy coat due to infection. Uh, it's like, it causes you to lose your hair. It's gross. Um, so some biologists and wildlife management, according to biologists and wildlife management officials, the chupacabra is an urban legend. That's what they want you to think. That's what they want you to think. So the first reported attack by the chupacabra occurred in March of 1995 in Puerto Rico. Eight sheep were discovered dead, each with three puncture wounds in the chest area and completely drained of blood. A few months later, in August, an eyewitness named Madeline Tolentino reported seeing the creature in the Puerto Rico town of Canovanas. Canovanas. One of those two, possibly. We're not good at pronunciations at all. No. Uh, where as many as 150 farm animals and pets were reportedly killed. Fucking A. Yeah. Yeah. About 30 citizens in Canavanas claimed to have seen the chupacabras sweeping, uh, sorry, swearing that it had swooped down from the sky and leapt over treetops. There are some people who say it's like bat-like, kind of like it's a vampire bat, it can glide. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's some mixed reporting so it's a flying bear with a spiky back that hops like a kangaroo bowser (laughs) um uh so it wasn't until november 19th of 1995 that a detailed description of chupacabra came from an eyewitness on that autumn night in puerto rico the creature struck again Farmers awoke to a horrifying scene. Dozen of tur- dozens of turkeys, rabbits, goats, cats, dogs, horses, and cows, all dead with no explainable cause. Just the mysterious markings left by the blood-drinking chupacabras. I'm sad about all of them except for the turkeys. Fuck turkeys. Turkeys are kind of terrible. Turkeys are terrible. We have wild turkeys in my neighborhood, and I fucking hate them. So in the north-central city of K- uh, Kagaus... C-A-G-U-A-S. I don't know why you're asking me. I'm worse. I don't know why I'm asking you. Neither of us is going to know. Kagaus, I'm going to say. A startled homeowner caught the first, the world's first fleeting glimpse of the goat sucker in the act. So described as having huge red eyes and hairy arms, the creature allegedly broke into the bedroom of the house through a window, tore apart a child's stuffed bear, presumably thinking it was an animal of some kind, and then left a puddle of slime and a piece of rancid meat on the windowsill before disappearing. Gross. I don't know what the slime is supposed to be. I don't either, but it's gross. Um, maybe the, the rancid meat was like some sort of snack that it was holding onto for later, that it dropped while it fled. Who knows? So this, these are the earliest reportings of the thing called chupacabra, or chupacabras. Um, 
there are there's a similar creature that exists in previous reports. In 1975, there were similar killings in a small town of Mocha, which were attributed to El Vampiro de Mocha, or the Vampire of Mocha. Uh, initially, it was sus- suspected that the killings were committed by a Satanism cult. Of course. Of course. Uh, but later, more killings were reported around the island, and many, far- many farms reported loss of animal life. Each of the animals was reported to have its body bled dry through a series of small circular incisions. Puerto Rican comedian and entrepreneur uh, Silvero Perez is credited with coining the term chupacabras soon after the first incident were, incidents were reported in the press. Shortly after the first reports, uh, shortly after the first reported incidents in Puerto Rico, other animal deaths were reported in other countries, such as the Dominican Republic, Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Panama, Peru, Brazil. Freaking everywhere. All, all of the places. All of the places. North and South America. Everyone started reporting, my animals are being murdered by a chupacabra. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. A five-year investigation by a guy named Benjamin Radford, uh, which he documented in his book, and... It's just called Tracking the Chupacabra. Oh, Short, nice. simple, to the point. Yeah. I like, I like it. it. Uh, concluded that the descriptions given by the original eyewitness in Puerto Rico, again, Madeline Tolentino, is based on the creature still in the science fiction horror film Species. Yeah. The alien creature still is nearly identical to Tolentino's Chupacabra eyewitness account, and she had seen the movie before making her report. In the report... It was a creature that looked like the chupacabra, with spines on its back and all. The resemblance to the chupacabra was really impressive, Tolentino reported. Bradford revealed that Tolentino believed that the creature and the uh, the creatures and events she saw in species were happening in real life in Puerto Rico, and therefore concludes that the most important chupacabra description cannot be trusted. Girl, get some help. So basically, she saw this movie, saw the monster in this movie. And then something happened, some livestock was killed, mm-hmm. and she thought, oh god, the movie's it's coming real. true. It's real. Okay. It's happening in real life. Get some help. So in addition, the reports of blood sucking by the chupacabra were never confirmed by a, necrops- a necropsy. And the only way to conclude that an animal was drained of blood is via a necropsy, so that yeah. was never... An analysis by a veteran of three a uh, veterinarian, sorry, announced by a veterinarian of three hundred reported victims of the chupacabra found that they had not been blood dry. Oh. Alright. Yeah. So it's just like it's just sensationalism. Essentially. So there basically there's two reports there's two types of chupacabra report. There's reports from Puerto Rico and Latin America where animals are attacked and it is supposed that their blood was extracted. And then there's largely reports from the U.S. of mammals, mostly dogs or coyotes with mange, uh, that people call a chupacabra based on its appearance. Because mm. it's more fun than dog or coyote with mange. Exactly. Uh, the origins of the chupacabra are still subject to debate. Some people believe that the creature is the left-behind pet of visitors from outer space. Uh, of course they do. Yep, hence their uncanny resemblance to space aliens known as greys, or little gray men, which is a stereotypical, like, short, yeah. big round head, big black eyes, yeah. um, like, elongated limbs. The, the dog version of them 
is El Chupacabra. Alright. Um, the alien theory doesn't end there, however. Others speculate an alien animal crossbreed created by scientists at NASA, suggesting that the creatures are escaped experiments gone awry. Even better. Even better. NASA's totes 100% doing those alien crossbreeds and then letting them loose to kill farm animals. Because why not? It's fun. Why not? Else, yeah, it's, you know, for good do? times. <laughs> like, it's not like they're trying to go to Mars or anything. Nope, nope, nope. Just, yeah. You know, just having fun, fucking with farmers. Listen, uh, I would. <laughs> if I was a man geneticist, that's what I would do. <laughs> just, I, I would. I would. If I was a crazy mad geneticist. Um, so one I'm veterinarian in I'm South America so believes- honest. <laughs> I'm being upfront about it. Listen, I'm not a crazy mad geneticist. At most, I am just a slightly mad engineer. And that just means freeze rays, not chupacabras. Again, you keep claiming you're a Gryffindor. I- freaking don't just keep slander going. me. Just keep I'm going. a Gryffindor. Keep going. I'm a noble lion. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Keep going. So one veterinarian in South America believes that the chupacabra is a genetically modified vampire bat. And considering that it's supposed to be the size of a small bear, that's a really genetically modified vampire <laughs> bat. Because, like, they're not that big. No. Vampire bats are not that big. They're, like, squirrel size. They're adorable. They're really cute. Um, They just, you know, subsist off blood. But they don't kill things. They just, like do a little, little scrape like, and lick. They're like mosquitoes, but they're actually adorable. They're like mosquitoes, but fluffy. Aww. They so have little fox other, faces, and they're so cute. Other medical and official personnel suspect that these incidents are caused by packs of wild dogs. Hmm. Although several witnesses came to the conclusion that the attacks could not have been the work of dogs or coyotes because they had not eaten the victim... This conclusion is generally incorrect. Both dogs and coyotes can kill and not consume the prey, either because they are inexperienced or due to injury or difficulty in killing the prey. Mm. The prey could also survive the attack and then die afterwards from internal bleeding or shock. Right. Um, and, like, going for the neck is Predator 101. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in March of 1996, one year later... Chupacabra struck for the first time in the U.S. It had somehow crossed the <gasps> dun, Caribbean dun, dun. and slain 40 animals in a rural area of northwest northwest of Miami, Florida. Well, fuck Florida. You know, we agreed, we've already established that Florida's not real. Except Florida's being ravaged by a hurricane as yeah. we say this. And so shout out to Florida. I really hope you guys are okay. Yeah, same. I'm sorry. I didn't Anyone forget. who's listening from Florida, I you. hope that you're, like... Okay, and that you're still there. not living in a foot. However, house. the only yeah. the only person, I mean, I'm, there's I'm sure lots of reports of people houses being destroyed, but the one I've actually seen is uh, Milo. What's his What's his bucket? The the racist Milo. What's his bucket? The the super conservative guy from Breitbart who's not working at Breitbart anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he yeah, tweeted yeah. out, "My home is gone," and I just started laughing. So like, <laughs> it'd be poetic justice if his was the only home that's gone. I realize it's not realistic, but I just I want it to be so. <laughs> I want his to be the only home that's destroyed. So on May second, nineteen ninety six, a report came from the Rio Grande Valley in southern Texas. A six year old pet goat was found dead, and the unmistakable puncture wounds of the chupacabra were on its body. Dun 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 dun. On the same day. 
The creature appeared further south in Juarez, Mexico, where it preyed on dogs and other small mammals. I mean, like, there's not just one. Yeah. I was it's say. always there's there's always multiple of them. Right. There, there's gotta be. There can't just be one and it's just really well traveled. It's like everyone's like, we gotta look for Bigfoot. I'm like, Bigfoot, unless Bigfoot is some kind of immortal creature, there's more than one Bigfoot. Yeah. Is that Big Feet? Is that what, what a collective of... We, I don't think we ever established that. We gotta get a Bigfoot expert on this and be like, what is the plural? Calling calling all Bigfoot experts. Uh, that what is the plural? aren't currently being employed by the Discovery Channel. <laughs> <laughs> so the next... Uh, so. Anyway. More witnesses verified Chupacabra's description. So a row of spikes or feather-like projections running down its spine... The way it stands upright on three-toed feet with its forearms suspended at chest level, not unlike a kangaroo, and its large, sometimes glowing eyes. So from what I've seen, it has four limbs, and it stands on two of them, but moves on four. So it's got, like, these tiny little limbs, these tiny little front limbs, but it doesn't hop like a kangaroo. It hops more like a rabbit. Huh. You know how, like, rabbits have the big, yeah. big back feet, and they just kind of, like, run... Like that? Yeah. They're so That's cute. from what I've read about their movement, supposedly. Like, rabbits are cute, but somehow when it's in, like, a giant form, that seems creepier. A giant form with scaly skin and dorsal spines. Okay, right. Again, we're dealing with Bowser here. This is not Chupacabra. This is <laughs> Bowser. So the next day, May 3rd, in northern Mexico, in the village of Calderon, the village of Calderon is terrorized by a giant bat-like creature that feasted on the blood of several goats. Like a scene out of Frankenstein, farmers formed vigilante groups to try and stop the monster, but without success. This reminds me a lot of the uh, Dueo hunting parties that oh, formed. Oh, yeah! Yeah. It's, as soon as there's, like, a, a monster in your town, everyone's like, gotta go get my shotgun and my, my truck, and we're gonna go hunt this thing. Yep. So throughout May, reports came in from all over Mexico where chupacabras left dead cows, sheep, and rams in its bloody wake. So we're going to skip forward about a decade now. Okay. To 2007, where a Texas nutritionist named Phyllis Canyon is having problems with animals, with something, killing chickens on a ranch. <gasps> oh my goodness, what could it be? What could it be in Texas, which is full of coyotes? Yeah. Um, so the chickens were found dead with their throats opened up and no blood in the area. Some might conclude that this because the chickens had been killed elsewhere and carried away. Or it could be the chupacabra. Right, of course. I mean, that's yes. the only plausible answer. Obviously. No blood, chupacabra. Yep. So the second theory was given more credence when Canyon found an alarming body by the side of the road. It was an animal with it, distinctly dog-shaped. But it was hairless, had thick gray skin that seemed to be more elephant-like than dog-like. The body weighed about 40 pounds, had steel blue eyes, and mysterious pouches at the base of its tail. Unlike other dogs, it only had three toes on its front paws. Most canines have four. Right. And, on and only four nipples, whereas canines have between eight and ten. So DNA tests have proved that this animal in question is a hybrid between a coyote and a Mexican wolf. Some coyotes getting freaky with a Mexican wolf. That's actually, like, there's a rising population of hybrids of different wolves and coyotes intermixing. Like, that's a thing in America is... There's, like, a lot of question about whether or not it should be its own species, this thing that happens. I feel like this is a lot meet. of 
it says a lot about my um survival instinct where all i'm thinking is oh cute <laughs> oh it's so cute um so the physical the physical evidence the entire time i'm just gonna be going puppy <laughs> um well not the, the best puppy because this thing was suffering from mange Aww. Yeah, mange can be fatal if it gets bad enough, and a sick animal will often make the risky choice to attack livestock, being because it's too weak to hunt normally. Because livestock is literally just prey animals, conveniently in the same place and unable to run away. It's like fucking McDonald's for for wild animals. Except if you were chased away by McDonald's employees if they caught you in the <laughs> store. Hey. That happens, I'm sure. It's the same thing. It's the same thing, except the McDonald's employees are leaping over the counter with a pitchfork to chase you out if they notice you're there. Okay, so it's more it's more like a Waffle House because uh, Waffle House- Everyone in a Waffle House has guns? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Didn't man, you hear about not... that story? The, the guy tried to rob a Waffle House and pulled out a and gun? And then the waitress pulled her own gun on him? Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. And that's the America that we live in. Yep. And I'm kind of- Please? Yeah. Somehow? I mean, that specific story, yes. That specific story. I'm both proud and disappointed at the same time. Exactly. It's very strange. Yes. So, so, um, as for the creature, as for this thing's blue eyes, it could either be a hybrid, like a blue-eyed husky, for instance, or it could have been a result of the animal being already dead when it was discovered, as dead eyes often turn into, like, a milky. They cloud, yeah. Yeah. So, however, the DNA results have not stopped Canyon from insisting that it is a chupacabra. And if we're if we're specifying what a chupacabra is, for all intents and purposes, a chupacabra could be this hybrid creature. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be the bear-sized kangaroo spiny thing. It could be the the half coyote wolf that has mange. Maybe that's a chupacabra. Well then, yeah. If we're let's let's just propose right now, since they don't have a species designation for it yet, that the half wolf coyote is a chupacabra. I'd be down. Yeah. Listen, taxonomists, let's just do it. Come on, guys. But You've just, named stuff stupider names before. Oh, that's certainly true. That is certainly true. So, uh, Phyllis again speculates that the animal usually lives underground. Why? Which is why it has unusual skin. <laughs> Uh, and the recent flooding in Texas in 2007 is what brought it up, like a worm from the earth. Okay, sure. The metaphor is mine, not hers. Phyllis didn't. Phyllis didn't say that. Aww. So um, you want to make sure credit is fast given. forwarding. Fast forwarding to another seven years to 2014, when a couple in Ratcliffe, Texas, captures a creature that they believe proves that chupacabra is real. Hmm. And I love this couple. Okay. This couple rivals the kettle the the kettleses from the Dueo episode. Okay, no, that woman is iconic. No, but listen, the wife of this couple, the 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 one of the two, I shouldn't say the wife, because sometimes couples have multiple wives. This is Jackie Stock. Mm-hmm. Says that her husband Bubba mm-hmm. found a strange-looking animal eating corn in a tree on Sunday night and managed to contain it. When trying to identify the species, Stock noticed the animal's hairless back, large claws, countless teeth, and ferocious growl. Hmm. Uh, Bubba Stock came to one conclusion, Bubba. which Jackie recounts. 
Jackie says, he came to me and uh, he called me to come and look. And I said, Bubba, that looks like a baby chupacabra. (laughs) I don't know. I I still think the woman who fucking left her naked husband in the park. In the woods. (laughs) I think she's more iconic. I adore her. So um, this is the first instance of something like this being caught alive. Because they they took it alive. So um, Phyllis, again, same Phyllis who found that thing by the side of the road that she said was killing our chickens. Right. Visited the stalks and checked out their supposed chupacabra. She noticed some significant differences between the, uh, the animal and what has come to be known as her Texas blue dog. Uh-huh. So Canyon said stalk is working with the veterinarian to get, uh, to get a sample, a DNA sample. But uh, her quote is, the feet definitely belong to a raccoon. Also, its eyes are brown where mine is blue eyes. I don't know what it is, but I'd like to analyze the DNA. Do we so have a picture of that? that? Sorry? Do we have a picture of that? Um, I don't have a picture of what they caught. I'm sure I could find one. I have a picture of the Texas blue dog. Okay. But the, the articles where the stocks talk about their thing, for some reason there's no pictures of it. Oh, lame. Um, I can probably find one and show you. Yeah. But this is not a visual medium, so let's keep going. This is not a visual medium, so it's all useless to you, our dear listeners. Sorry. Uh, So, Stocks, both the the Stocks' neighbor, uh, Arlen Parma, does not think it's a raccoon. Okay. Because it it could possibly be a raccoon with mange, especially because it was sitting in a tree eating corn, apparently. Um, Parma says, you know, I hunted raccoons for 20 years with dogs and all that, and I've never seen... Uh, anything that looks like that right there, Parma said. I a raccoon raccoons doesn't... for 20 years. Where yep. are they from? Texas. Okay. <laughs> a raccoon does, don't make that noise. Or a possum. What makes that noise? I guess a chupacabra does. I don't know. Jesus. I love this person. Bubba? No, this was Arle- uh, Arlen Parma. Okay. Par- yeah, Arlen Parma says this. And I love them. <laughs> because what what makes that noise? I don't know. I guess a chupacabra does. Yep. I love it. Okay, so um Brent Ortego, who is a wildlife diversity biologist for Texas Parks and Wildlife, believes the cage creature is most likely a small canine such as a coyote, dog, or fox. He also suspects the hairlessness is caused by mange. But uh, Canyon disagrees with that theory. There's no hair on it, but it's definitely not infected with mange, she said. There are no sores or raw skin. It's very docile, and a sick animal is a mean animal. Which is not totally incorrect. Yeah. Um, so, the DNA tests apparently are, are crucial and point to Canyon, and she points to her own case. Um, so, it's possible that this is another weird hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, I am curious as to how it was found in a tree. How did it climb up? How did it climb up the tree? Yep. How did it get up there? Yep. But it does seem to be a lot of the reported incidents of chupacabras are, in fact, dogs that have mange. Yeah, um, that makes and, sense. Yeah, and any any animal that is sick or starving will often do, or a lot of times, like, if it's infected with rabies, for instance, and it's not in its right mindset Mm -hmm. they'll do the risky thing of attacking livestock yeah uh and especially a sick animal could explain why there have been a lot of unsuccessful attempts at consuming the livestock Mm -hmm. um that's basically 
chupacabras in a nutshell. Your story was much shorter than mine. Yeah, it was. I had a feeling yours was going to go long. Yeah, I did tell you what it was going to be. Um, so that's my favorite cryptid. It's El Chupacabra. It's the goat sucker. It's delightful. Which, depending upon your view, is either a three to four foot tall, small bear-sized, scaly, spiny kangaroo-like creature, or a hybrid coyote wolf with mange. I'm calling it right now. Hybrid coyote wolves are now called chupacabras. I will. I'll call them that. Yep. I'm here with. I'm here for yep. it. Yep. That's what I say. Yeah, because they're a growing like species yep. in this country, especially is wolves and coyotes interbreeding. And I mean, again, my survival instinct isn't great, but that just sounds cute. Don't Chelsea, don't. <laughs> I, I don't feel go like, outside much. I'll be fine. I feel like this. We're gonna hear like a woman gets mauled by a coyote, and it's just gonna be you, and you're like, yeah, I just wanted to pet it. It looked like a dog. <laughs> And I'm going to be like, Chelsea, no. Again, I have come face to face with a mountain lion and was fine. Also a bear. So, like, I say these things, but when push comes to shove and I'm actually in these situations, I'm not an idiot. Hopefully. Well, so far. One, one hopes. So far, so far in my life, I have not been an idiot. So, yeah, that's that's what I got. So, what's the takeaway? Um, they're also... Oh, go ahead. The, well, there's also uh, apparently... Some eyewitnesses report that chupacabra smells very strongly. Like in what way? Um, like of sulfur. Oh. Bring, bring um, in that devil, that devil thing. Yeah, bring into that potentially there is an occult. Yeah. Like it could be an evil spirit of some kind. Right, so, so far course. the exp- explanations we've got have been uh, aliens. Uh-huh. It's a demon. Right. Or it's a dog. Aliens and demons seem to be the prevailing theories on a lot of cryptids. Indeed. Uh, dog, not so much, but I'm sure there's more than just the chupacabra. I am sure. Yeah, there's probably a bunch of cryptids that are like, it's a dog. It dog. I, but like I said, I love the chupacabra. For some reason, actually, raccoons. That happens a lot with raccoons. Where it's just a raccoon? Because well, raccoons are smarter than we give them credit for, well, that's why. Also, raccoons with mange do not look like raccoons. No, nothing with mange looks like it's supposed That's to. That's true, yeah. The second you see something without hair, it is no longer recognizable to you. There's actually a really interesting study they did about people with eyebrows, um, just in general. Yeah. Uh, eyebrows are a integral part of your facial recognition, and a lot of times if someone shaves off their eyebrows, they become harder to recognize by people that know them. wonder if... So the iPhone came out today. Yes. If you shaved your eyebrows off, would it know your face? I get, I don't know. Test it, Chelsea. (laughs) Shave your eyebrows off. First of all, not getting the iPhone 10. Secondly, not shaving my eyebrows off. I I love my eyebrows. My eyebrows are fucking beautiful. Do it. No. I am the devil on your shoulder whispering you are for you to shave often your the off. devil on my shoulder telling me to shave off my eyebrows and to make five more cosplays that involve so many lights and sounds. Yep. Um, so the takeaway, the takeaway, I guess, for today is that anything that, <sighs> I'm trying to think here. Well, mine is exercise is great, but don't let it consume your whole life. And also, uh, if you're in a retail store that wants your entire life to be consumed by retail culture and it's not just like a ha ha, yeah, 
totally like because like any retail store is going to be like we're not just a job but if they are like actually like we're not just a job we have weekend retreats for you to go to for free like fucking run (laughs) not worth it there's other retail jobs there are other retail jobs in this economy though um (laughs) fair i i don't know what my my takeaway from this is uh because sometimes it's just mange sometimes it's just mange guys like if you think about it if you look at stuff sometimes it's not a cult it's just a soul cycle sometimes (laughs) it's not chupacabra it's just a dog with mange you just gotta look at it again yeah i guess soul cycle i mean it's not a cult it just says cultish behavior and the people that buy into it all it's like calm 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 down calm down I guess the takeaway overall is just step back and take a second look at things. Yeah. Before you go full sprint into them. Yeah. Take a second look at the thing that's killed your chickens and be like, am I describing the thing from that movie I just saw? (laughs) Take a second look at the job that you're signing up for and question, ask yourself, is this kind of a cult? Because the answer might be yes. Is this the kind of work environment where someone's going to stab somebody 300 times over some pants? Yeah. And if it is, because, like, I worked at Apple, and I thought, and I joked a lot that Apple was a cult, but, like, no. That's, I can't imagine any, like, I can't, like, we would make fun of shit all the time in our store, like, cons- uh, uh, a culture from um corporate, like, mm-hmm. I mean, there was, like, videos that corporate would send us to watch of them, and... I have a picture on my phone still of one of the videos that was sent. Um, we paused it on a certain frame and put a mustache and a sombrero hat on him. Uh, and it stayed that way for quite a while. But, uh, yeah. Even Apple, like, I joke about Apple being cult, but after reading about Lululemon, I'm like, no, they're fine. They're totally fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Apple. Okay, so... I don't got anything else. How about either. you? Uh, we didn't. We didn't get any emails, unfortunately. I still would like to get some family family stories. If you have them, please send them. Please. You cannot expect every human being to have a conspiracy in their family. I feel some like, families are. I don't know. Relatively well adjusted. I don't know. I feel like ask around. There's something. Get your friends weird conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, just any kind of weird like. Or, like, a town conspiracy or, like, some. I feel like everyone has at least one story from where they grew up or where they moved to or something. Or, like, a friend has, a, like, of, like, a weird just, like, local conspiracy that's not really something that people outside of your one area would understand or know. Or if you have a cryptid sighting. I'd yeah. love to hear about that. That, too. If you saw a cryptid. Or, I guess, a ghost. I mean, they're not the same, but I'd still like to hear yeah, about it. Cool, if you yeah. saw a ghost. If you live somewhere that's haunted... We want to hear about it. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's add ghosts onto our repertoire of things that we'll talk about. Haunted right, shit is sick. awesome. Oh, that means I could someday do the uh, Winchester Mystery House, right? Ooh, we should totally go to Winchester Mystery House. Let's, go, let's record at the Winchester Mystery House. I wonder if they'd let I us do that. I don't know if they'd let us do that, but I would love to try. Yeah, me too. I love that They place. have sleepovers. And it's- and it's pretty close to you, so like it's, I've you know you want to know what's funny? So I've lived in the Bay Area my entire life, all twenty seven mm-hmm. years of it. Never been to the Winchester Mystery House. You fool! I've been twice. Yeah, I make meccas to the Winchester Mystery House. A fun fact for everyone: um, I my alma mater, San Francisco State University. Yeah, the science building where oh. I spent a 
What? The science building. <laughs> the science building yeah. at San Francisco State University, where I spent most of my time, was built by not one, not two, but three separate architects who worked on the Winchester Mystery House, all of whom- I didn't realize quit that! Quit or were fired. Three different ones, all of whom quit or were fired while building it, and the Nux person just came on and changed the plans and completed it. The building does not make sense. No, it doesn't. You literally, all. like, you'll be walking, and I, I can attest to this, you'll be walking on the first floor looking for your classroom, and then all of a sudden realize, how the fuck did I get to the second floor? I did not walk upstairs. There is a stairwell that skips one of the floors for no apparent yeah, reason. Yeah, there's a door that leads to a brick wall. Yeah. For, it's like, like, no fucking no, reason? None of it makes sense. Also, while I was there, they had to evacuate the building. We couldn't use it for a year because they found mercury in the water pipes. Are you serious? So, like, that happened. Oh my god. Yep. I was out of the country during that year. I was doing study abroad when I came back because I was getting the emails about it. Yeah. Uh, and when I came back, I'm like, yeah, so what was up with the building? Why, why couldn't they do classes there? And one of, my, one of my friends was like, yeah, there was mercury. So, if you ever use the water fountains here. <laughs> oh my god. And the thing is, okay, so this is, so, like, you, gra I graduated in 2012, you graduated in 2015? 2016. 2016. Um, and so this was before you started going there, because the old library, uh, the third mm -hmm. floor was haunted. So, oh, lovely. Yeah. And the thing is, I didn't go in the library much. So what happened was, my first, my freshman year, we had a, we had a perfectly fine library, except for the fact that the third floor was haunted, and then they decided they're gonna tear it down and build a new one, which was just a fucking nightmare. Um, uh, cause it, they were like, it's only going to take one year. It took four. <laughs> it took a very long time. That library, again, you, you graduated like in 2012 or whatever. Yeah. That library did like, did not get completed until my sophomore year. Yeah. That's, uh, it was, it was ridiculous. Part, I remember it was partly completed my senior year cause we could actually go inside the first floor of the new library. Mm -hmm. That it was very exciting. Um, but like the one my freshman year, I went to the library and I had to go to the third floor, and that's when we had a fucking earthquake. <laughs> oh fun! Yeah, and the thing is, Always it fun. is it is creepy being in there because it's like you know it's haunted and you think you're hearing voices, but you think it maybe it was a whole thing. Maybe we'll do like a whole episode on how fucking weird our school is. Yeah, possibly. Listen, a lot of places are haunted, and also we almost ended this episode and then we got derailed for like. Probably like five minutes. Probably. Just talking about okay. Winchester if you're, that's another thing. If your school has some weird haunted or some kind of bullshit, I want to hear about it. Sounds legit. Yeah, because San Francisco State has so much bullshit. I would love to hear other universities. I'm sure every university has something like like that's like how you become a university. You have some weird bullshit conspiracy or haunted ghost story. Right? I don't think that the Board of Education approves that qualification <laughs> for how you become a university. Um, However, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's not one of their requirements. No, but it just might say. as well be. Um, we should probably wrap up. Yeah, okay. So thank you all for listening, for for powering through with us mm -hmm. uh, through all of this, and for for listening to us get a little bit sidetracked by stuff. It happens. It happens. So I have been Chelsea. No, I haven't. Wow. I've been Christina, and I'm having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a stroke, I swear to God. Oh my God. Um, no. I am Chelsea. I've been Christina. Excuse you. You are not I'm stealing, stealing my your identity. identity. <laughs> I am just co-opting your entire identity. No. I pull my face off, and it's your face. All right, Arya. Freaking 
I am I I am just a girl. I don't um, even fucking watch Game of Thrones and I get that reference. <laughs> I made that reference. <laughs> I would hope you'd get it, yeah. Um anyway, so please like, rate, subscribe, review, specifically review on iTunes because that gets us heard by a lot more people. Yeah. Because of how iTunes works. Yeah. Um, if you're feeling up for it, if not, I guess you can just, like, tell the person next to you on the bus. Just be like, hey, you know what I'm listening to? And then you give them one of your earphones and you have a friend now. Yeah, a friend who also likes weird shit. Yeah. Presumably. Uh, tell your friends. Tell the ghost that lives in the third floor of your school library. Um, yep. And then tell us about your new ghost friend at yeah. cultscryptedconspiracies at gmail.com. So, bye, Chelsea. Bye, Christina. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.